Well, hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another podcast of the Remnant Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Raglan. Uh, I hadn't said this in a while. Just a reminder about pastor of church in Birmingham, Alabama, author, and more than anything, I'm, I'm a husband and a father and a papa. And I'm also a podcaster. You know that because you're listening to my podcast right now. What a blessing. I want to welcome you straight in, and, and I want to ask you that if you haven't already done this, to make sure that you uh, check the follow, check button, whatever it is on your particular podcast app that you have. And more than anything, give us a five-star rating and write a review. That is so, so important to give us that five-star, but probably more important than even the five-star is for you to write a review. And the more people that write a review, the more Apple uh, and Google and all these other hosts of podcast companies uh, put your podcast, and would be our podcast, in front of people, in front of potential leaders, potential pastors that are needing what we're, we talk about on this broadcast, uh, on this podcast. So it's a blessing for you to do that. I want to talk to you about today about full circle to our first love. You know, for those that follow my other podcast, The Big Picture, and maybe watch some of the sermons that I preach at my church and, and so forth, you hear me talking a lot about full circle. You hear me a lot of talking about, about the remnant. These are things that are very prominent in my life and in my heart and in the ministry and the focus that God has on my life right now. I talk to pastors and leaders a lot about it as well, that God has taken us back to how he started it correctly. Um, one of the podcasts that I did on The Big Picture, my other podcast that you can find on this same app, if you'd like to follow both of my podcasts, it's called The Big Picture, is I talk about, you know, we we need to stop trying to think that we can improve on God's idea. You know, God doesn't ever need anybody to improve on what he started. He just needs us to get back to to the level of how it was when he started it, because most of the time that's what we're doing. We we've, we've messed up so many times that we're you know as we experience a new thing, a new wave, a new anointing. It's usually not anything new. It's not not just usually. It's not anything new. It's just basically us experiencing something new as we're on our way back, trying to get back to how it all started and began, because we have just spent generations chipping away at what God did and what he intended it for for, us, for it to be. And, of course, we come, we come up with all these ideas that we feel like, you know, we can do it better than God, and, and we got a better idea. We may not say those words, but our actions carry that out. Well, you know, a lot have been said. And th- of course, the minute you heard me say first love, you, you thought about the church of Ephesus that is mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, when... Jesus is talking to John, uh, the writer of the book of Revelation, and he begins to show him, you know, visions and and shows him begins to show him the things that are going to happen in the future. And one of the things that he begins to show them at the very beginning, before he starts showing him all the future events, many of many of which have not happened yet, which was called the tribulation period, the rapture, the millennial reign, and New Jerusalem, and so forth. He shows them seven churches. And, and, you know, there's a lot of discussion about those seven churches. Some people believe that the set, those, you know, that those were only referenced because there were only 
seven literal churches in the day of John, which they were seven literal churches in the day of John. There's no debate of that. But where the debate comes is that is that all it was? Was it also uh, did did God choose those seven churches uh, because each one of those churches had things about their characteristics that mimic the believer's life that could be used and and be applicable to our lives as leaders, as Christians, as men and women of God? And I believe the answer is yes. I believe God's Word is different than any other book that's ever been written in the sense that it can be written about literal events that happen, little historical events. And then there are also those historical events have spiritual implications that can be applied in every aspect of our lives. So I believe as we study those seven churches, remnant leaders, we can see things in us individually, uh, things in the people that we minister to's lives and the things that we will experience. So yes, I do believe that those seven literal churches that existed, known theologically as seven churches of Asia, Asia Minor, whatever, um, those were the churches that those were prominent churches in the day of John. But I also believe that they do have personal implications. Well, then there's the, there's another idea um, theologically that the seven churches represents what is known as the seven phases or the seven dispensations or the seven, uh, I guess you would call it phases, of the church age. The Ephesus, which is the first church, represents, when you read uh, the characteristics that are mentioned in as he's addressing and speaking to the church of Ephesus, you can parallel that with the, the early church, the first church. And then you go all the way through, and I'm not going to preach the seven churches in this teaching, but then you end with the church of Laodicea. Actually, let's back up and say you end with the last two, which is Philadelphia and Laodicea. Philadelphia is a church that was highly commended by God. It was highly um, um, complimented by God. and But then right after Philadelphia is Laodicea, which is the seventh church, and it is far from commended. In fact, it is it is rebuked greatly, and it is the famous church that we hear uh, preachers talk about a lot of times, and you've probably taught as leaders about the Laodicean church that says that they were neither hot nor cold, but they were lukewarm, and that lukewarm church just made God sick. It literally means it made him want to puke and spew them out and vomit them out of his mouth. So that's a church that is, quite frankly, a disgusting version of the church. Now, Philadelphia was a highly commended version of the church, and I think it's interesting that the city where uh, our Constitution was signed and all of that, the Declaration of Independence, I should say, uh, was in Philadelphia and known as the city of brotherly love and so forth. Well, it was absolutely named Philadelphia after the Church of Philadelphia. So we see that, you know, there was a phase of the church in Philadelphia that was pursuing holiness, that was pursuing righteousness, that believed in the standards of God's word, and then it spills over into the Laodicean church, which is where we are now, which, you know, when you study, you know, what Jesus talked about, you know, in signs of the end times, you know, not only earthquakes in divers places and pestilence, 
but he talked about the condition of humanity. Uh, Paul talked about in the book of Romans uh, how they would love the creation more than the creator. This final generation would leave the their God-given habitation uh, as male and female, and you know, men would be with men, women would be with women. Uh, you know, and it's just, it's just, you know, you look around, you see everything that God spoke of being signs of the end times. Jesus said, as the days of Noah, and we remember the story of Genesis chapter six, the day of days of Noah was so evil that God destroyed the world. Uh, every human being except for Noah and his family. So that's pretty bad. And he says, the last days will be like the days of Noah. So we see that Lord will say in church upon us, it's not coming. It's upon us. Now, there are some Philadelphians that have that have held on, the remnant, in the midst of Laodicea. But the church itself, we're not talking about the condition of the world, we're talking about the condition of the church. Keep that in mind, that the Laodicean, it's not the Laodicean world, it's not the Philadelphian world, it's not the, Ephes, uh, the Ephesian world, it's the Ephesian church, it's the Philadelphian church, it's the Laodicean church, because that's who he's addressing. So I feel like that as we talk about full circle, we talk about, I, I preach about it a lot, that I, wants, I, I believe God wants the body of Christ. He certainly wants me to do this. I can speak for myself, to go back and study the first um, interaction that he ever had with human humanity, the Garden of Eden. Really, really break down the things that happened in the Garden of Eden because it really shows us God's will for mankind in the Garden of Eden. And then you factor in the first church. If you want to know how the church, God's will for the church is, you go full circle all the way back to Acts chapter 1 and 2, and you see what God did, the commands that he said right before he started the church, and then what happened in that upper room. And you realize if, you, if you're really trying to be common sense, quite frankly, and, and um, faithful in study of Scripture, you, you just can't come to the conclusion. I just don't understand how anyone theologically theologically can come to the conclusion that the last church is going to be void of most all the miracles, almost all the the manifestations of the glory of God that was given to the first church. I can't believe that God's going to rapture and come get and wind this thing down with a weaker, more anemic church than what he began with. So I tell people, go back to the book of Acts and study the book of Acts and understand that that's the will of God for the church. It has always been the will of God for the church. And now we're talking about doing a new thing, seeing a new awakening and all of that. But what we're really, really doing is we're really getting back to the original uh, because we can improve on what God has done. That being said, uh, the title of this podcast is, you know, redressing that we have lost our first love. Well, I want to read to you what the book of Acts, I mean, excuse me, what the book of Revelation chapter two says. This is the beginning of the seven churches. This was the beginning. So if we're going full circle, then we're going to begin to see some of the manifestations in the Laodicean church coming forth in the Laodicean church, I believe, because the enemy is also trying to always pull us full circle. Just like the devil, just like God is trying to take us, excuse me, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, 
The devil's trying to go take us back to the Garden of Eden, and I have an entire series that I did on our teaching that I did on the big picture. I actually did that on uh, on my YouTube channel. You can just go there and search for the big picture, or my name, Larry Ragland, but just look for the big picture with Larry Ragland, and you'll see it. And I did an in-depth teaching on the origin of gender confusion, and that happened in the Garden of Eden, in the tree, with the serpent and with Eve. That that whole story was about gender identity and gender confusion. So, you know, just like God has taken us back mentally, spiritually, to the Garden of Eden, saying, hey, I want to walk with you in the cool of the day again, just like I did then. I want you to be covered in the glory of God. I want you to walk in a relationship with me where there is no shame. The enemy is saying, okay, well, if it worked for me back then, and I was able to fool his creation into listening to me, then I'm going to use the same tactics again. And we see that same gender thing. We see that same. It's all really not even about gender. It's about identity, being able to know who you are in God. Because the moment you stop knowing who you are in God, remnant leaders, you can't be effective anymore. So that being said, God is trying to tell us in his way, look at the church of Ephesus. Look at these. This is the church that started out with power. This is the church that launched the whole world knowing Jesus. And look how quickly they lost their first love. Well, the enemy is trying to take us back also to try to cause the same things that happened in the early uh, years of the church to cause the, the rebuke of the church of Ephesus to happen. And he wants it to happen again to us because there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon said that there's no, there's nothing new under the sun. In other words, there's no new, there's no new tactics of the enemy. Okay, so let's listen to it. Let's just read it. Chapter 2, verse 1, Revelation. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Let me, st- let me stop and say those, that seven stars means the seven messengers or the seven voices. Most people believe that these are addressing the seven pastors, overseers, bishops over that church. But most people will agree they, they refer to that as a pastor. A, the messenger, the covering, the father of that house, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands. The lampstands represent the churches. Notice that God walks in the midst of the lampstands. This is an affirmation of the gathering. This is an affirmation of the gathering of the people. It's God's will. When they gather, he walks in the midst of the, of the lampstands. He says in verse 2, I know your works, your labor, and your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. You have persevered and you have patience. You have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. That sounds awesome. If it stopped right there, that would be an amazing commendation by our God. He says, you know, you work hard. Uh, he commends our labor. He says, you're patient. You wait on me. Uh, you cannot bear those who are evil. In other words, you you believe in standing against evil. Uh, you don't listen to false apostles. Uh, you know, you've declared them to be liars, that they're trying to deceive. Watch this. Verse 4, nevertheless, this is powerful, I have this against you. Let me tell you something. It's a big thing when God says, I have this against you. Okay? He says, I have this against you. You have law, you have left, left your 
first love. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place until you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To he who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Whoa, listen, there is so much I could unpack right now that I don't have time to unpack on this particular broadcast. I'll definitely be covering this again at at the next level on a future broadcast. But here's a couple of things. Number one, it jumps out at me that the my whole mindset, the vein that I'm in with this whole full circle and always thinking about the Garden of Eden, always thinking about how he started it, that the first church, the first church phase, age in the in the line, the seven stages of the church, Ephesus is believed to represent the first church, okay? And if you believe that, then how incredible is it that he ends by saying that if you will repent and you will overcome, I will give you to eat of the tree of life. Do you remember what happened in the Garden of Eden when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They were removed from the garden. And the Bible says the reason they were moved, removed from the garden and banished, angels with flaming swords were placed at the, at the entrance of the garden is that God says in his word, we cannot allow man to stay in there in the state that he is in because if he does, we can't guarantee that he will not eat of the tree of life. In other words, continue to have eternal life, continue to have everything that the kingdom of God uh, permits for him to have, but in a sin nature. We can't have that. So he was banished. But yet here we are in the New Testament. Here we are in the first phase of the church, and God is saying, listen, It is my will that my people eat of the tree of life, but I can't let you partake in this until you repent. Now, what is the first love? There's There's a great debate on this. You have left your first love. You have left your first love. I have heard it mentioned and preached so many different ways. Is that you've left the first love of how you felt when you first got saved, you know, the love that you had for so many people, that you were so passionate about God, you just told everybody about Jesus, and nobody's going to tell you to shut up and, and all of this, and now you've become uh, a robot, now you've become affected by religion and so forth. And, uh, you know, you're just, you're, just, you're just like a regular church folk now. You're, you're not passionate like you was with your first love. You need to get back to that passion. I've heard that. I've heard that. You've lost your first love um, in the sense that uh, you are you forgot the harvest. You're you're not you're so focused on church things that you forgot souls. You forgot the harvest. Can I tell you that both of them could be absolutely correct? I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that I that I know exactly what it says, what it means. I know what it says. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Okay, that's all it says. You've left your first love. Verse 5, the next verse says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. That's where a lot of people get, you know, going back to your first way you carried yourself as a believer. 
Now, if you are if you believe that all seven churches uh, are included because one of the applications of the seven churches being included in God's perfect will was that in each of the seven churches there are principles that can be applicable to you as a believer, and I do believe that, then you could look at that when you're taking that personal and you could absolutely say, you know, I need to do the first works of my salvation. I need to go back and start walking and talking and acting the way I was when I was first saved. Yes. But if you also believe that this is representative of the seven phases of the church, then you've got to believe that, and of course this being the first church, if you if you subscribe to that theory, of which I do, that meaning that we are in the Laodicean age, that he was speaking to about the, an existing church there called the Church of Ephesus, but used them to represent the first stage of the church. Now, what happened at the first stage of the church? Now, not far back from, from the writing of this, not that far back, there was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. There was unity. There was one mind and one accord. There was fire of the Holy Ghost. There was gifts of the Spirit. There was anointings. Like Peter had an anointing, the Bible said that even his shadow would heal the sick. These people were going out. There were evangelists being raised up. There were deacons being uh, assigned to do actual deacon work, which means to serve tables. Apostles were being birthed, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. There was apostolic anointing all over the place. People were on fire to not just tell people about Jesus. That was number one. And not just tell them about the resurrection. That was part of number one. But, you know, to lay hands upon the sick and see them recover, that was a part of the mandate that God gave us. Jesus told us that in Mark 16. Lay hands upon the sick. Go out and cast out devils in my name. Freely you have received, freely give. I tend to believe, this is my opinion, uh, where he says I have that you've left your first love. You've left it. You've left it. You've left it. Listen to the words. You've left it. I hear a lot of people say you lost, and some translations say that. But you look at it, and all translations, when you look at the original language, implies that you left it. So that means you made a decision to leave it. You didn't lose it. See, if you lose something, you don't know what you don't know what happened to it. But if you leave it, listen, if you leave it, you know exactly where it's at because you made a decision to leave it where it's at. You left your first love. Now, what's again the next verse? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place until you repent. I believe this could be saying to the church, the Laodicean church needs to wake up and they need to go back and look at the church of Ephesus and look at all the great things that they were doing. And I think we're doing all those great things. A lot of churches, if not most of the churches that believe in Jesus Christ, truly believe in Jesus Christ and his word are doing many, if not all of the things that the church of Ephesus was commended of doing. But then he says, all of these things, I have one thing against you. You're doing all this stuff so good, but I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. Repent. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. What are the first works of the church? The first works of the church 
was Acts chapter 2. The first works of the church was Holy Ghost. The first works of the church was the anointing. It was evangelism. It was telling everybody about Jesus, but also laying hands upon the sick, letting the gifts of the Spirit operate. All the things that we read in 1 Corinthians where, where Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about the gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts of the Spirit, how they should operate. All that was the first church. All of that was happening and manifesting in the birth and the early phases of the first church. But how quickly, how quickly the first church and then the second generation maybe, not the first generation, but as the second generation came around, that they left the first works. They began to think, well, we don't need this. We don't need this. So then this doctrine began that the gifts died off with John, which is the writer of this book, that when he finally died, he was the last one, the only one that did not die a martyr's death. Many people believe that when he died and he breathed his last breath, all of the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, miracles, signs, wonders, and, and, and miracles, the gifts of the Spirit, all nine gifts of the Spirit, all this stuff, that the first church walked in, operated in, and literally lit a fire that's still burning to this day, a worldwide evangelistic effort that came from these people that was in that upper room. John was the last one to hold on to it. Think about that. Think think about get, get this picture in your mind. All these people are lined up wanting this old man John to lay hands on them. Because, yeah, it was it was widely known that once he's gone, we don't need these gifts anymore. They're not, they're not available to anybody anymore. So can you imagine you being in line and this old man is laying hands on people and seeing them healed, and he's just barely breathing? I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm trying to be real. He's just barely breathing. People know this, this is his last moments. And you're the next guy in line. You've, you've stood in line and you've watched all these people get healed and miracles and you are the next guy in line and John dies and you're standing there and you grab his hand and slap it on your head and nothing happens. You look over at his assistant, you look over at his armor bearer, you look over at people around him, you pray for me, you pray for me and they all look at you and say, sorry, sorry, the gifts of the spirit are gone. Sorry, the anointing is gone. Sorry, nothing is available to you anymore. Leaders, that is that is just plain, can I just tell it like it is? Stupid. That is not biblical. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't sound like anything that God would do. That's confusion. John breathed his last breath and he died. But can I tell you something? The gifts did not die with John. If you're going to do what God has called you to do, remnant leader, you need to go back to the first works. You need to understand you can't do it without the anointing of God on your life. You need the anointing of God on your life. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? It is very, very important. And that's why we do this broadcast. I mean, look, I'm unashamedly Holy Ghost. I'm unashamedly believing in miracles. And I unashamedly believe that the the anointing to preach the gospel is important. It's not the gospel is the most important, but you've got to have an anointing to preach that gospel, especially in a day and age like this. So here's how the Laodicean church age of which we're a part of. That don't mean you have to be a Laodicean, but you are a part of the Laodicean phase. 
but you need to go back and study all seven churches. See the commendations, see the rebukes, the condemnations. A lot of commendations on that first church. One condemnation, just one. You got all these things right, but you left your first love. Well, the good thing about leaving something and not losing something is if you left it, you know how to get back to it. You know, you know how to go back to it. So get up. Go back to the first works and say, God, here I am. Use me. Anoint me. I'm ready. I'm remnant. See you next time on the Remnant Leadership Podcast. God bless.